0: Let's do this, the Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful. And for the faithful, I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, Bruce. Hey, David. Draft day. Draft day two. Draft day two. Not some folks of the hockey world. The Edmonton Oilers had their most Eurocentric draft ever in team history. 5 out of the 6 players taken were played minor hockey. They're not all playing in Europe now, but uh, played played most of their hockey, their all their developmental hockey in Europe, including first mm-hmm. round draft pick Philip Broberg, Broberry, I think is what they they say it in Sweden if I'm not mistaken. And um so 5 out of 6, the closest the orders have come to that the, there's only been twice when even the majority of players, Bruce, were Europeans yeah. in Reuters draft history. In 2011, five out of nine players were Euros. And in 1993, six out of 11. Hmm. So only twice before. And usually it's like one <laughs> out of five, three out of seven, two out of six. Right. And as you go back in time, it, it, it was more North American heavy, mainly because Czechs and Russians uh, were behind the Iron Curtain earlier on in, in, in sense to draft them as they, there was very little chance they'd come out of course European hockey has also gotten stronger over time compared to Canadian hockey uh, so very eurocentric Bruce does it have do you think it has anything to do with Ken Holland or not
1: oh sure yeah that's oh yeah he's uh, he's got a long history in both Sweden and uh, Russia and uh, uh I think The Oilers, you know, they've tinkered with Russia in the past, but they've been burned so often that they were really starting to back off from it, I thought, the last couple of years. But uh, uh, Holland went there uh, with both feet today, drafting two players from uh, Craig McTavish's uh, Yaroslavl locomotive team. Uh, Of course, the, the Swedish connection is long established. And I just think you know, Detroit in general has long had a team that was very high on on skilled European players uh, and just maybe a higher blend of Euros to North Americans and many teams. So I, I'm assuming that Holland's uh, influence was part of that. So, Bruce,
0: there was a little bit of heat, including from – like I, I was hoping that the others would – if they were going to draft Broberg – or one of the forwards, many forwards available. There seemed to be about thir- twelve to thirteen players at the top of the draft, and I was hoping the Oilers could move down.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And there's quite a bit of complaining and belly aching on the Twitter and Oilers net.
1: Now there's um, a surprise
0: about, yeah, there's a surprise indeed about the Oilers not trading down to take Broberg. And and I and I had that same thought. I, I I I admit I had that same thought. A little bit like why didn't you just trade down, you know? But you know, coupled with well, maybe you can't trade down if that's the guy you want. But that thought really was dispelled for me, Bruce, when I looked at the first round. Mm -hmm. And um, people are basing this notion that Broberg, the the, that the owner should have traded down to get him, based on the kind of the consensus of the the publicly available draft list by all these draft experts. And they tended to, you know, the average for for them, they had him thirteenth overall. Um, you know, from TSN's Bob McKenzie and the hockey news and the athletic Corey Prodman and Scott Wheeler. Um, all of these uh, you know, sixteen draft experts that I could find that, you know, credible ones and make public lists. He was 13th overall. So people are thinking, you know, why don't you drop a few spots? But here's here's the fact of the matter is in the first round alone, mm-hmm. there was 10 players. Who, who there was a there was a wider variance between the, where they were taken and where the public experts had them. Like so, for instance, Nolan Foote, who Tampa took at twenty seventh, the public experts, you know, they had him. at, The consensus was he was fifty first. You say why didn't why didn't they drop down?
1: Well, clearly Tampa doesn't know what they're doing.
0: Simon Holstrom, the Islanders, he he dropped. There's a twenty one spot difference with Broberg. It was just five spot difference. Lassie Thompson, who was taken by the Senators, 17-spot difference. Ryan Johnson, taken by the Buffalo Sabres, a 14-spot difference. John Beecher, taken by the Boston Bruins, 11-spot difference. Maurice Moritz Sider, taken by Detroit, a 11-spot difference, and on and on it goes. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the difference with Broberg and where the consensus was was actually quite small compared to a lot of these players. But none of these other teams, with this huge variance... Were able to drop down to take these players so th- clearly it's it's there's a couple things going on first of all it's maybe not that easy to drop down and, and yeah second the public lists might be getting it wrong on average the consensus yeah i mean that's the obvious <laughs>
1: that's the other I mean, thing you- there was only one yeah. trade day eh? um Uh, Arizona moved up from 14 to 11 to pick Victor Soderstrom, a player they may well have gotten at number 14. And Philly dropped down three, and maybe they got the guy they wanted anyway. I haven't heard any verbal from Philly, but they got Cam York, a D-man from the U.S. national development team. So, uh, and that was the only trade down that happened. And, I mean, you have to trade down. There's only a few spots you can go. Like, you're not going to trade from 8 to 28 and still get uh, – Philip Broberg, you might go from eight to 12 and get him, but you've got to find a trade partner in there. So what I'm going to say, Bruce, on this is if we hear in coming years, well, the order,
0: you know, Broberg, they should have, it was an okay pick, but they should have dro- dropped down and got another pick. That's fake news. That's not real. That's you're living in a fantasy land. If you think that's mm-hmm. going to, that was, that's easy to do or that ha- commonly happens. That's really not common at all. Teams are always going against the public consensus and taking picks either well below it or well above mm-hmm. it. And the, and the notion, so if anyone, like, in the coming years, we're going to see it for sure. We're already seeing it. But I'm just saying that's not a valid criticism. It's it's phony baloney stuff.
1: That's I know from years, 40 years now of experience in uh, fantasy drafts that you can rank a player where you think you're going to be able to get him, but it just takes one who also likes the same player you do, and he's gone. And once he's gone, he's gone. So, I mean, obviously, the Oilers like Broguerite. I mean, obviously, Detroit liked Moritz Sider. Why didn't they trade down? Well, maybe they couldn't find a trading partner. So they just decided, okay, we got the player we like. He may be rated lower than this, but this is our one pick. We're either going to get him or not get him with this pick, and we're going to get him. And maybe they thought, you
0: know, Ken Holland... Maybe he really wants Moritz Sider more than yeah, any other defenseman. Or maybe Vancouver's.
1: Maybe it was, was in, in uh, Holland's safe in Detroit. They found a list with Moritz Sider's name at the top. Who knows? You figure Holland must have taken the list over from Detroit. They, they must have had two draft lists, essentially, the orders yeah. this
0: year. They didn't have Detroit's final list, but they would yeah. have had a pretty advanced list. And I mean, he mm-hmm. was the GM, he, he had that list. So mm-hmm. the orders had two lists. <clears throat> You know, how could a, even if Holland didn't bring the list itself, it
1: would be in his head, right? Yeah, like, he'd have the knowledge, and he was. I mean, the surprising part, possibly, with uh, Ken Holland, was that he was so close and saw many, many games. Apparently, this year of the U.S. National Development Team that had just a ton of draft picks, like six in the top fifteen, that were selected from the U.S. National Development Team, and so if there was any thought that um, Holland might be biased in a particular direction, it might've been that way. And maybe a little surprising that he didn't take, for instance, uh, sorry, seven of the top 15, Trevor Zegra, of, uh, who went next to Anaheim. And then he was a player that had a lot of people hot about him, about us Oilers not getting him. You know, who wasn't but, hot was our friend, Sean Patrick Ryan,
0: the Oil Knight yeah. who, who had seen these players and he never was a Zegra's fan because mm-hmm. he just thought he, he plays a kind of a clever, fancy game that's mm-hmm. not going to translate well in the NHL to power hockey at the NHL level, which I thought was an interesting critique. So, But I agree, that's really a key point. And, and again, you know, Ken Holland saw Cole... He saw Cole... What is it? Cole Caulfield? Is that his Cole, name? Caulfield, yeah. Caulfield, and he saw um, um, Matthew Boldy, and he saw all mm-hmm. these strong attacking players. And And, you know, chances are about half those... You know, if there's six good, really good forwards on that U.S. team, about half of them are going to be really good NHL players, but about half of them aren't. And um, maybe, um, you know, maybe he thought it, well, it's Turcott and uh, Turcott and Jack Hughes are gone by the time the owners are yeah. drafting. And maybe Holland's thinking, well, there's a couple other guys that are not bad, but this Broberg is a way better bet. So that's obviously what he thought, that Broberg was a better bet. So uh, that's why the owners took him. Because cause there's no, there's no, um, they're not they weren't drafting for positional need there. This was clearly who they yeah. thought was the best player available. Because if you look at positional need, you're taking a forward.
1: Yeah, and and that's the knock that people have, is that the Oilers had an aching need at forward and they didn't address it in the first round. And they got another left defenseman of which they have a number in the pipeline, uh, ahead of Broberg. And almost all accounts suggest this guy is at least two years away from uh being part of the equation over here and maybe three or four years away from being an impactful part of it. So why didn't he address the problem? Well, it turned out that he did with the high pick in the second round where they wound up getting a a very good, highly ranked forward. So that solves the pain a little bit for those of us who are wanting them to pick a, a hot shot forward. Well, guess what? They did. You know, and it's interesting. So, uh, the player, Raphael Lavoie, there's mm-hmm. a guy on
0: Twitter, the Don, he's going to be super happy because he was hoping they might take him with their, their first overall pick. I think the Don really, uh,
1: okay. so
0: excited about this player. So he's a, he's a great six foot four, 200 pound attacker from the Quebec league, mm-hmm. uh, who just came absolutely came alive and took his team basically on his back hauled his team to the Memorial cup and, um, finals, uh, was he on the winning team? I don't know.
1: He was on the losing team in the finals, and they were also the losing team in the Q finals. They went all the way to the finals, uh, but uh, they were guaranteed a spot in Memorial Cup anyway, but that didn't stop Lavois from potting 20 goals in 23 playoff games. Like, he really caught fire. So that has to be uh, when you have a 6'4 guy that uh, uh, has apparently a nose for the net and... Uh, also is a dangerous shooter from range. Well, it sounds like he's got a, a few weapons at his disposal. So it's two years in a row, Bruce, that the a
0: drafted. I think McLeod was the 40th overall pick, yep. Ryan McLeod. Last year, this was 38th yep. overall. And both McLeod and um, Raphael Lavoie were rated very much more highly mm-hmm. by the consensus experts. I think McLeod was in kind of like the mid, people saw him going between about 20 and 25 in the draft. right? And Lavoie averaged out at 19th in the draft. And no, uh, Steve no. Corianis, the draft analyst, had him as high as 13th. Out of the, of the 16 draft um, public draft guy experts that I looked at, Bruce, three of them had uh, Raphael Lavois higher than Philip Roberg. <laughs> so, uh, in any case, so it, w- this it's the same kind of player who's been very highly rated on the public lists who have who mm-hmm. has fallen to the Oilers. You know, the interesting thing, Bruce, is how excited we all get, and this I, this is about fan psychology. And my own psychology, because I was at that point, I was really hoping, like as the draft, as that pick was coming up, I was really hoping that the Oilers would get Raphael mm-hmm. Lemoy, You know, like right, he's so yeah. Hungry, we right talked it, about goes,
1: him last night.
0: You know, but the interesting thing is, <laughs> it's kind of a weird psychology if you think about mm-hmm. it, because what do the what do the public experts know that the, the the real experts don't know? So the real experts are having their say in the draft itself. You know, the people who see way more games and are way more, have way a, more acumen at rating players than anybody else on earth, and they're saying to this player, no, no, no. And every time they say no to the player, mm-hmm. we're getting more excited about the player because we think he's going to fall to us. But the, actually, the experts are weighing in and saying, ah, nah, he's not really all that. But by the time he comes to us, we're like, yippee, we've got the yeah. guy. It's it, so it's kind of a funny dynamic in a way. That's my only point.
1: Well, what's What's really funny is that uh players rise and fall. Their stock rises and falls in, in the draft. But to for your stock to rise in the draft, you need one team to believe in you and say, "We want that guy. We're picking him." And that's more Sider or that's Philip Broberg. Was for a guy to fall, you need a consensus of team after team to say, "No, no, no, we don't want him." So it's a whole different dynamic between the two phenomena. Suddenly,
0: the screen got all fuzzy at your end. Is there something? Um, um, all right. <laughs> anyway, yeah, you just—it's like selling a house. You just need one buyer, right? It's but much but much after water. buyer after buyer after buyer says mm-hmm. no to that house, you think maybe there's something wrong with that house. Mm-hmm. You know, it was. Uh, it's looking pretty good there for a while, but uh, maybe there's something with the foundation that we haven't quite, uh, that the inspector, our inspector missed. Anyway, uh, and I, this is no comment on Raphael Lavois. Like he, um, the orders were, they said they had him higher on their own list. They were very excited to get this particular part. Oh, yes, of course. So uh, They always and, say that. Well, they always, and
1: it's always true. Right. It's always true. Yeah. It's I mean, even if all the guys on your list have been picked in order, the worst you can have is the guy at the same number. That will be at the top of your list when it's your turn. And if any other team has gone off the board a little bit, then that guy is going to be up, you know, the top guy is going to be ahead of uh, of uh, of where he goes to you. So a system of mathematical certainty. Yeah, you know, and some of the public lists that I'm talking about, of course, like Bob McKenzie's list, they're based oh, on the scouts. What the scouts? That's a say. scouting list. Yeah, that that that's a for real list. And you know, some of these ones, I mean, these are serious people that are compiling this stuff. Oh yeah. And so it's, it's when you say public, I mean, to me, there's kind of a couple of levels of it, and there's one level, you know, fan opinion that people sort of get, get all caught up in this player or that player based on something they have read or heard or some highlight that they've seen. Or what have you, whereas if you're saying Bob McKenzie's list or Corey Pronman's list or something Craig like Blatton, that, they, these, are, you know, Kino, these, these are these are people that, yeah. that put their life into this into this stuff, so they're going to be reasonably close. But yes, they aren't choosing four teams; they're just kind of trying to rate the 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 skills of the players against each other. And of course, it's not an exact science; it never has been.
0: Yeah. Uh, So it's pretty. I I, so I was excited with this pick. I've never seen the player play. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, I noted that at the when he was in the U eighteen tournament a year ago, he was uh, scored five goals in five games for Team Canada. Mm -hmm. Um, Who did Detroit get thirtieth overall last year? What's oh Joe Valino? Joe Valino only had three assists in five games on that same Mm -hmm. team. Joe Valino is kind of a similar player who really fell in last year's draft. Sure did. And so, so he, this uh, our man uh, Raphael is like kind of the Joe Velino, Ryan McLeod, and there's all kinds of examples in every draft oh, yeah. where, where these guys are falling. But I'm, I, you know, it's 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 kind of cool to have such a highly uh, touted prospect available then, and hopefully.
1: Um, well, it hopefully feels like done. a sec, It feels like a second first round pick. Sure did. Yeah. When you have a guy, I mean, he was, because he was mm-hmm. consistently between like 14 and 21. It's not like he was 30 or 28, you know, like he was in the middle of the first round almost everywhere. So, uh, for whatever reason, you know, certainly as a, a, a on the raw talent scale, he, he surely has first round talent. Now the knock on, on the guy that I've heard is that his work ethic may need work. <laughs> uh, uh, I mean, we'll see. He's, uh, He's taken at a point in the draft where about one
0: in five players become good NHLers, you know.
1: So let's hope he's one of them. A big right-hand shooting right-wing boy. Would that ever look good on the Oilers if it was, you know, the right player with that, uh, bringing that uh, physical package. Okay, let's talk
0: about the the next pick, Bruce, of the Mm. Oilers. And that was uh, 85th overall, the Oilers, Take a Russian goalie who's going to be 21 soon. His name is Ilya Konovalov, mm-hmm. and and my reaction when they when I heard that they had taken a Russian goalie, I thought, "What the frack? <laughs> I was just disheartened, you know. And, and again, it's completely irrational. Like uh-huh. that's that was my just my visceral reaction, but it is completely irrational. Uh, and so why do I say that? it's, it's because, well, I thought, well, the Oilers have all these young goalies and they do yeah. have a lot of young goalies. I do. So why are they taking a goalie? And then I had, of course I had my, there was still some players who were fairly highly rated left that they could mm-hmm. have drafted at that point um, that other people were really wanted to see drafted like other Oilers fans were, who are were really into the draft wanted to see drafted. So I was kind of hoping for those players again, irrationally, I think. And, and, but it was mainly like, don't we have enough goalies? Yeah. But I have to say, Bob Green's explanation mm-hmm. was pretty darn solid. I mean, the, the thing that really won me over to the pick, though, was this guy was the rookie of the year. Yeah. In the KHL. As soon as I heard that, I thought, oh. And then he's so then he's got two years left on his deal. He's not even over here for two more years. They'll have now two full years to look at mm-hmm. Wells, Skinner, and Rodriguez mm-hmm. and, and see if any of those guys have it or not. So he's not even in the running for two years. And maybe, maybe not one of those guys. Other other guys pan out, and goalie's such a key position. They're going to yeah. have this other guy in the wings who's looks like a hell of a young goalie. He's at, mm-hmm. he looks at, like he's at least as good a prospect as those other guys right now. Mm-hmm. So, well, I, he, I I don't mind the pick.
1: Yeah, my my initial reaction was very similar to yours. In fact, I came into this weekend thinking, man, the Oilers better not pick any more goalies this year. As an old goalie, it kind of pains me to say that. But, man, this is six years in a row they picked a goalie, and that doesn't include Shane Starrett, who they signed as a, as a free agent. And it doesn't include Hayden Hockey, who they traded a pick for last year to get his rights and then didn't sign him because they had too many goalies. So at that point, you're thinking, what in the hell are they doing picking another goalie? But when, when, And my initial reaction on Twitter was, was similar to that. Uh, but uh, uh, as soon as I had a little chance to look into what the guy was and see what his situation was, which is, as you described, two more years in the KHL and... Uh, One excellent rookie season and a pretty darn good seven-game trial the previous year when he was 156 goals against average, 933 save percentage. And last year, 189 goals against average, 930 save percentage over a full year. And he got 10 different honors, goaltender of the week, goaltender of the month, rookie of the month, that kind of stuff over the course of the year. So this guy was bringing his game all year long by the looks of uh, what information we have at our disposal. So I mean, he's two years. You can kind of forget about the guy for two years, but two years from now, he could be very close to a finished product that's ready to come in and play at a high level. Um, So it's it's good that he's developing somewhere else because we got Oilers got too many goalies in their own system. to, To add another one would just choke off the, you know, it's just not enough crease to share among eight goalies or whatever it is. There, so, there is not. And so,
0: so, yeah, it's a good thing. He's going to be playing for Craig McTavish yeah. in the Euros level. And, uh-huh. uh, so there you go. Anyway. Yeah, yeah well, that, that's that's, like actually a, a, good, that's
1: a good thing too. And I think McTavish will be uh, uh, a, a guy for, you know, not necessarily coaching goalies, but for little – bit communicating expectations to the guy this is what you can expect in North America This is what you can expect in Edmonton I'll have a little bit more focus of your future if your future takes to the NHL I can talk to you about that and also that I would assume still that McTavish and the Oilers would have a strong line of communication it's not like the guy is going to disappear behind an iron curtain and we never hear anything about him right we're He'll, yeah, he'll, he's
0: still good, certainly good friends with Kevin Lowe, for instance, and, and
1: Bob Green, and, and Bob, you know, and, and yeah. probably Keith Gretzky, and you know, I would imagine that the the organization wouldn't have any trouble getting out information from the loquacious Craig McTavish. So Bruce, let's just quickly go over the last three guys: taking mm-hmm.
0: the 100th overall Matej Blumel, 167, 62nd overall Thomas Majura, and mm-hmm. 193rd overall Maxime Deniziken. Uh, Blumel and Missura are both Czech players currently in the United States playing
1: hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: are they not? And, they're
1: they're um, best buddies, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and they're both over here. They've been over here for a couple of years and they're both taking the NC2A route and are long-term two to four year projects before they'll be in the system. But they're, you know, they're on the, now the reserve list. Mm-hmm. And, they both have posted decent offensive numbers that suggest that there's some skill involved in both players and skilled forwards, uh, which is really all three of the bottom picks, is uh, the area of weaknesses of weakness that the Oilers is really needed to address at this draft.
0: Yeah, and uh, so Denis Zikin is, is is in his draft year. He's gonna he has uh-huh. a pro contract for two years, so again he's gonna mm-hmm. be playing for inyaroslavl maybe on their pro team or maybe on their junior team uh, for the next two years so he's a long-term guy so just you know and bob green addressed this saying that he wanted uh, mm-hmm. uh you know just players that that uh you know long-term st- have someone else develop them see how they go draft and develop see how it works out and watch them and
1: mm-hmm.
0: and maybe one of them will become a really good hockey player chances are that's not 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 the case if you go by the the averages, but every individual can defy the averages, and it happens all the time in hockey so mm-hmm. so what do you think overall Bruce first draft of the Ken Holland era? It's like what is it? the fifth draft of the Bob Green era and the third draft draft of the kretzky era, so got a lot going I, on there.
1: I picked a lot of mature uh players. Uh, you know, uh, Philip Broberg, who turns 18 next week, is by nine months the oldest player of anybody that they picked. The youngest. Uh, yeah, yeah. They picked two guys with a September 2000 birthday. Yeah, the youngest, pardon me. Uh, two guys with a September 2000 birthday. And they picked one guy who was eligible last year in, uh, in Blue Mill. Uh, he was a, a May 2000 birthday. The Russian goalie was in his fourth year of eligibility, uh, which you wouldn't even see if he was on this side of the pond. And he very likely will be the oldest or certainly in a very short list of the oldest prospects picked in this draft. And the other guy, yeah, is uh, uh, LaVoie, September 2000. and
0: uh, He's got to go back to junior, though, does he Does he not, Lavois? Like he, yeah, he's only played three years.
1: Yes, yeah, future. but he's, yeah, they can't send him to the AHL. No. Uh, cause he's, but he's only got one year left because he's a late 2000. He'll be ready. He's like McLeod. He's very similar to McLeod, who had a similar kind of birthday, that one year, of four-year junior, and he's ready to turn pro uh, a year from now. And my bad, can, uh is December 2000, so he's only six months younger than, or older than Groberg. Uh, but they did pick mature, Bunch of late birthday guys or second or even fourth year eligible players, with uh, Broberg being by far the, uh, the 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 youngster of the group. But was Bob
0: Green's first draft the Drysaddle draft or the McDavid draft?
1: Oh, I think the Leon draft. I mean, uh, Logason oh, Yeah, Green Codden, was. Vassel. Yeah, although he got promoted in 2015. So he was in the system, but he wasn't overseeing the system. Stu McGregor was, was still involved at that time, I do believe. Oh, boy, So 2015, we
0: still, still got our hopes yeah. on Caleb Jones, Ethan Barron, and Marino. Mm-hmm. John Marino. Um, so there's, there's, there's one guy with a real up arrow. That's Caleb Jones, and Barron and Marino are still prospects. And McDavid, of course, was taken. And then from the 2016 draft, Tyler Benson's got an up arrow. Um, looks like Philip Berglund kind of does. And then Jesse Pulleyrv is not looking good right now. Um, Marcus Nemailine not looking so good. So the 2016 draft not looking great, Bruce. Uh, 2017 draft Yamamoto kind of kind of a question mark. And then there's Stuart Skinner. Samarukov, Kirill Maximov, Ostap Safin, who's a big question mark.
1: Mm -hmm. So a few
0: promising players
1: there. Now Safin, I mean, he he signed a three-year contract after a very promising last year, and then this year was just a total disaster for him. Sure was. was. never, Never healthy, barely played. I mean, he was with Halifax in the Memorial Cup. I mean, did we even see him play? I mean, he was just an afterthought. And he's signed to a three year contract. So he's gonna be on that. he's gonna be the next Braden Christopher on the fifty man list, possibly, but we'll see. Hopefully he can overcome whatever it was that set him back. And but
0: so here's my thing with a draft, Bruce, to say a draft's a success. You need I, I say there's eleven key players on every NHL team. Mm-hmm. There's one goalie, four D, and six forwards, who are your your the backbone of your team, the absolute heart of your team. And every year in the draft, you must replace one of those players. Yeah. Uh, you must get one player. So, um, you know, because because they've drafted so high, I think the Oilers are on track to do that in these in these in the Bob Green era drafts. You know, with Drysail, McDavid, Tyler Benson, Caleb Jones could be one of those players. Um, Sam Marukov could be one of those players. Yamamoto still has a chance. Skinner has a chance. Maximov has an outside chance. Evan Bouchard has a has a chance, good chance. McLeod has, has something of a chance. Roberg, of course, and Lebois from this year's draft, and maybe even Kono,
1: Konovalov. So we'll see. Too soon to know, of course, on most it of them. I mean, we, we know 2013 produced Nurse, 14 <clears throat> produced Settle, 15 produced McDavid, and after that, there's a bunch of question marks. We're hopeful. Even with the Jesse pooley uh mess, uh, hopeful that Tyler Benson will work out from 2016 and then after that really all bets are off. You say one a year to replace somebody in those positions, well when you're picking as high as the Oilers are it means they've got a bad team in the first place, they're hopefully upgrading in those yeah. positions and yes. I, I personally buy into the Rich Winter version of the core group model which includes a uh, a 7th forward, uh, the 3C so he has a seven four one model with it a dozen key players and
0: well, that's fair of, enough. Kind I kind of agree that Three
1: C three C is a key key ingredient as well.
0: Let's so trade him about,
1: for Ryan Spooner. So the orders are about
0: five <laughs> players, six players short of you need about six mm-hmm. of those spots. Half the half of the dozen. Yeah. Yikes. Alrighty, Bruce. It was let's uh well any final thoughts? Any before we uh, sign uh, off, just
1: Holland basically stayed the course and uh, kept his picks. Didn't uh, didn't pull off any trades of any description, and uh, went a little bit uh, out of the box with the Browberg pick, even though it was telegraphed for a week. And actually, if I have any concerns, it's at uh, how that information got out there that the Oilers were so interested in the guy they ultimately wound up picking that that seemed like something leaked somewhere that uh, yeah a
0: little bit weird I I was mad hot about that last night I'm just thinking about like does it really matter I think it does though so like they are pretty secretive about their lists and everything you know why not just publish your damn list if it's if it's if it's if it's it's not a secret so they they don't do that and so why would you leak that so I I do you uh, know I don't know what happened
1: there, so it's a little problematic, but but uh, it's something they'll want they'll want to clean up, and for sure, I mean, at least they did go after skill uh, at the forward position, and that's what one thing the organization desperately needs. So it's a it's a ways off, but at least you know they're they're starting to address that weakness.
0: Yeah. Alrighty, yeah, and the Jesse Puliyarvi can. Milan Lucic situations, Chris Russell, they all remain unresolved. There was no resolution at all. And uh, it was interesting, you know, we saw the value of cap space today, Bruce, with the Mm -hmm, the New New Jersey Devils picking up uh, P.K. Subban for basically nothing. Draft pick.
1: For uh, yeah, not, not not quite nothing, but uh, uh, let's just say they didn't get they didn't have to give up Leon Dryside, Oscar and the fourth overall pick to get him. As uh, was yeah, proposed for the Oilers yeah. to grab Subban three years ago. So I mean, He's that the had... million dollar contract at the time, you and I were fairly adamant that that was just uh, awfully rich. And it turns out now they're uh, Nashville's trying to dump it so they can make room for somebody else.
0: I still like PK Sube. Yeah, and I love, love and, P.K. And it, it. like it was not just the contract, it was the price. The combination of the two. Yeah. Like, oh geez, seriously? Like dry really? settle, you're gonna come up. Anyway, um uh but that New Jersey made a I think a hell of a steal there. And I wish the Oilers had you know, if you just didn't have, you know, a couple big contracts, that could have been the oilers cashing in there. So it's Always a good idea and man, unless you are certain about a UFA, just don't lavish that money on that player. Like there's a there's a few names floating out there like now, like Gustav Nyquist and um and <laughs> I just think, geez, and, and con Brett Connolly. I'm thinking like are you like we signed Benoit Pouliot. Like mm-hmm, no, exactly. Br- you're gonna do the same with Connolly, you know. Yeah. Anyway, I I'm just not a big fan of the UFA route, really in the end and it can, it can work at, at times. I think Andre Sekiro really would have worked if he hadn't gotten hurt.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that, but that's another risk yeah, that they're taking all with older, older players. players is that uh, maybe they get a little bit more susceptible, a little longer coming back. And so even the, the Sekiro contract, which in theory you can make a stronger defense for in practice has turned out to be a, a you know, a cap sink for the Oilers for two years now. And look what Toronto had to do to get rid of Marlowe's contract. They had to give up a first overall first
0: round draft pick. Not a first overall pick, but a first round draft pick. And this is because they were faced, they were gonna lose a young player like Kapanen or Johansson and they still might. And Jake Gardner, like they're they're just up
1: against it. And they just had to for give up. One year one year of Marlowe, that to get rid of one year of Marlowe, that cost him a first round pick. So now consider what it might cost to get rid of four years of Milan and Milan on And i will give you pause. Well, yeah. And Lucic
0: has more value than Mardo, but um, as a player, One but um, you're right. No, the owners are going to have to eat a bad contract. And I, and I think yeah. they're going to have to do it because I think you have to move, but again, they don't have to move them now. They can move them next summer, but they do have to move them sooner or later because they can't have them be forced to protect him in the expansion draft. Okay, let's leave it there, Bruce. All right, we're
1: kind of rambling on. And uh, anyway, lots of, uh, well, actually fairly slow weekend. There was no trades of any players at all yesterday, but uh, two or three interesting ones today. But uh, I'd say pretty quiet overall, especially for all the pre-draft hype about all the talks that were supposedly going on. Hard
0: to move contracts right now. (sighs) That's what we're seeing. We're seeing an NHL which is bogged down at the cap it's like trench warfare here right now. You can't do anything, and you you, you send your guys out, and they're getting they get, like there's nothing you can do. I don't want to make a war. And with
1: you. due respect to the management that's out there, if the league would tell them what the bloody cap is, maybe they could do something. I mean, it's ridiculous. They've gone through the draft, and nobody knows what the cap's going to be next year. And it's gone from all year they were saying eighty-three million, and then last week they're saying eighty-two, or maybe what, maybe eighty-one and a half, and then yesterday I heard well maybe only eighty, and whoa. Well, that's a little margin there. That's, what, that's all a lot of these teams have to deal with is that margin. So get the information straight and get it out there, NHL. Come on.
0: <laughs> all right. <laughs> Thanks for talking, Bruce.
1: Thanks for listening,
0: everyone. And in the meantime and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey Podcast.